After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent his two disciples, saying, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, it's great to be here this morning and uh, great to be with you as the acting vicar. If you've had the privilege like I've had of going to Israel and Jordan, one of the things you always do when you go to Jordan is to go to Petra. Uh, And Petra is this magnificent ancient site uh, that's well worth doing if you ever have the privilege of going to Israel and Jordan uh, as one of those sort of tours that you do. And uh, I was uh, going through Petra. It's quite a long sort of walk to go through this, the ancient city of Petra. And uh, when you get to the end, you basically then have to retrace your steps to the beginning. And when we were there the first time, it was hot. I was tired. So I bumped into the tour guide, and he organised for me to get on a donkey ride back. And unbeknownst to me, the donkey ride back didn't go back to the entrance I thought we were going to. It went to this side entrance. So here I was on the back of a donkey being run, led by a 10-year-old boy, in the middle of nowhere thinking either two things are going to happen, either I'm going to be charged with professional standards breaches because here I am, an Anglican bishop on a donkey with a 10-year-old, thinking this is like contrary to all of the guidelines. Um, And secondly, thinking more likely I was going to end up in a ditch, uh, abandoned and robbed and beaten in the side of this sort of remote location I felt like I ended up in. Now, in God's providence, the tour guide had arranged it all properly. We got out of the place... This 10-year-old boy took me to a Bedouin camp where I sat around for a while and then a taxi turned up and it took me back to the hotel. So it all worked out okay. So we've probably all got a little donkey story in our lives of some sort, uh, and that's one of my particular personal encounters. Well, for Jesus, it was seemingly a much safer entry into the city of Jerusalem. Uh, He was on that cult that was provided miraculously for him, as we heard about in the children's talk this morning. Uh, And as he came into the city of Jerusalem, they rode up to the Mount of Olives. They had that spectacular view you get of the city of Jerusalem if you've been to the Mount of Olives. They descended down from the Mount of Olives through the cemetery that has been there for thousands of years, up into the sort of area where the Garden of Gethsemane is, up a sort of another hill, and then entered into the city. And Jesus came being greeted in a very special and profound way. The people lord and honour him, and they say that blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and on earth, and glory in the highest. It's an amazingly striking scene. Now, up until now, most of Jesus' public ministry has been happening around about. It's been in Galilee and its surrounds. It's been in the hills, in the deserts, down on the Mediterranean coast and around about, and not very often had Jesus been in Jerusalem. So this is a very significant moment as he comes into Jerusalem and he's acknowledged as people truly think he is as the Messiah, the King. 
uh, it's an incredibly important moment because it is that profound acknowledgement of the reality of who this particular person is. He's the king, he's the Messiah, he's the one who brings the long hoped for peace for the people of God, and he's the one who is glorified in heaven. Now, the Pharisees see what's going on. As usual, they are offended by this action. They rebuke Jesus and tell him to tell the people to stop. Uh, And Jesus says, if they keep quiet, even the stones will cry out. Such is the nature of what's going on here, acknowledging who he is as he comes as king. He's moved to tears, we're told in the passage, and he reflects on what will take place in this particular city because 70 years later, The city of Jerusalem will be ransacked and destroyed. The people of God will be carried off into captivity. Nearly a million people will die. The temple of David will be destroyed, uh, and it will be a very devastating scene. That's what Jesus weeps about because, as he says, they had an easier option, uh, which was to acknowledge him, and they choose to ignore that option. So when you think about Jesus coming as a king, I wonder how you react Is that a concept that you kind of connect with, Jesus being a king, a ruler? Do you connect with the idea that uh, Jesus is still the king today? And would you be comfortable about shouting out loud that, in fact, he is your king? And what sort of king comes to mind when you think about someone coming as a king? The thing I think about we need to be reflecting upon today is that Jesus is acknowledged as king as he enters Jerusalem. Now, he doesn't come as an earthly ruler does. He doesn't come with a great array of sort of attendants who follow after him. He doesn't come in all great pomp and ceremony. He doesn't come with like a great military arsenal that goes before him, which is acknowledged. He comes in a very ordinary, very humble, very unassuming sort of way, riding on a colt, acknowledged as he is as king by the people, but humbly riding into Jerusalem. So he's not a sort of king that we might assume when we think about kings, when you think about pomp, ceremony, crowns, rituals, adornments. He comes with the adornments of cloaks and palm branches, and he comes in this humble and unassuming way. The people who are there following him acknowledge him as king, but the city itself has not been called to sort of all gather around and to acknowledge this great one in their midst, because people have to choose whether they're going to follow this king or whether they're going to choose to ignore him. So what sort of king is Jesus? Is he grand and mighty and forbidding, or is he remote and unapproachable? Well, he comes, as I've said, seemingly as an ordinary man, but a person who's acknowledged for the incredible miracles and actions that he'd done and for his amazing teaching. And the people who do acknowledge him as his king do it because they choose to, because they acknowledge him in their hearts and in their lives. At Christmas, we read the words from Isaiah chapter 9 about the baby Jesus. And it does always seem a little incongruous at Christmas to be, seeing, to be acknowledging him in the words of Isaiah 9 because we're acknowledging at Christmas a tiny, vulnerable baby. But at Christmas, we read these words, For us, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from this time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. 
Now, as I said, when you think about those words and you think about a tiny baby, they seem incredibly exalted and somewhat sort of bizarre almost to be thinking about a baby becoming that sort of king. But what we actually do acknowledge on Palm Sunday is the fact that that king and those words were now a reality. And what sort of rule does this king and what sort of government does this person, this king, lead? Well, he rules not by force or coercion uh, or because people have to do it. He rules in people's hearts. The rule that he exercises is one that's voluntary because people choose to follow this king and to make him the king of their own heart and their own life. As we journey through Easter, we see what it's all about, his sacrificial death on our behalf, which was the loving action of a loving king on behalf of his people. We we think about his remarkable rising from the dead and the fact that this means that he is now acknowledged as the mighty God, the one who does genuinely have authority and earthly rule as well as heavenly power. And for each of us, he can be our wonderful counsellor, our mighty God, our everlasting father and our prince of peace. It's a radically different sort of government and a radically different sort of rule that Jesus exercises because it's one that we actually experience personally in our own hearts and lives. On Palm Sunday, the people waved branches and they sang out and shouted, Hosanna. And as Bishop Tom Wright has put it, Hosanna is a Hebrew word which mixes exuberant praise to God with the prayer that God will save his people and do so right away. So it's not just an acknowledgement, which it is, it's also a prayer that we pray. And as we begin our Easter journey and as we celebrate Palm Sunday, it may well be that we should be doing both. Firstly, acknowledging Jesus as our King and glorifying God for him and all that he means in our hearts and lives. And we've already been doing that a bit in the activity, uh, which I need to get back to because I haven't finished cutting out my activity. Uh, And secondly, we need to use it as a basis for offering a prayer to Christ, praying that God would bring about peace in our hearts and peace in our lives. And it may well be that there are things going on in your heart and your life where you need God's help and God's peace. And it may well be that you as a church and a community need to be praying for God's peace and God's help at this time of transition. Certainly as a nation, we need God's help and God's peace. The last month or so has been an incredibly tawdry period in our life as a nation. There have been all sorts of shameless things happen and said uh, that we are all collectively impacted by and all collectively embarrassed by. Uh, And we do need God's help and God's renewal and God's forgiveness if we're going to find a basis for going forward. So let's today shout Hosanna together as we acknowledge Jesus as our King. And we do that collectively because the Christian faith is never meant to be a solo journey. It's meant to be something that's shared with God's people. But as well as that, let's use it as a basis for praying for God's peace to rule in our hearts and for God to give us the wisdom and guidance that we need in our particular situations and our particular challenges. And as well as that, in the places where God has placed us. Because in all of our lives, God's placed us in particular places to be people of peace in those places. And let's pray that God would help us to exercise that ministry and mission wherever we are. Amen.